myself sorted. All right, good afternoon. Like Jack, I also struggle with afternoon and want to say good morning or even good evening, just anything really but afternoon. It just doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same. Um, I was really hoping today that I would be looking out at a sea of beautiful faces rather than masks, but alas, maybe just another couple of weeks and we'll be there. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Caitlin and I'm part of the Kingdom Vineyard staff team. Four years ago, I was a final year at university and looking forward to starting my intern year with Kingdom Vineyard. That intern year turned into two years and then, which because of the pandemic, turned into a short-term job. And now, as of six months ago, a permanent job. So that went well for me. <laughs> During the week, you'll find me down at the Kingdom Vineyard office, uh, looking at all the church communications, doing bits of admin, looking after our home groups and various other bits and bobs. I just can't quite believe that it's approaching four years of working for Kingdom Vineyard and a really crazy four years it has been. So today, over the past couple of months, we've been working our way through the book of Daniel and today we're picking up where Maddie left off last week with the second half of chapter five. To recap the first half of the story, King Belshazzar enters the scene. He is called the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, who we've been hearing about up until this point. Son in this case actually just means successor, so you can bear that in mind as we go ahead. Chapter 5 starts with Belshazzar throwing a party, and he even gives orders for the gold and silver cups from God's holy temple to be brought in so that they can drink their wine from them. Some real fancy party, that is. So they had a merry wee time with their wine and they worshipped idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron and wood. And then a hand appears and writes on the wall. Actually, the fingers of a human hand if we want to be pedantic about it, which somehow just kind of makes it more creepy, right? Naturally, Belshazzar is terrified, white as a sheet. He calls on the magicians and the enchanters to come and tell him what it says. Surprise, surprise, they can't. Just like how in earlier chapters, they couldn't interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. The Queen Mother remembered about Daniel and his divine knowledge, and so tells, Belshazzar, sorry, tells Nebuchadnezzar, no, Belshazzar, I'm confused now. I'm getting all the names mixed up. Tells Belshazzar to call for Daniel. So Daniel was brought in, and Belshazzar tells Daniel if he's able to interpret the writing, then he'll be clothed in purple, which is a color of royalty, be given a gold chain, and be the third highest ruler in all of Babylon. And that is the story so far. So we're going to read what happens next. The lovely Hannah is going to come and read uh, Daniel 5, 17 to 31. Great. Thanks, Hannah. I'm going to swap this way because I don't think... Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. 
Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Thanks, Hannah. Great. Okay. So today, we hear Daniel's interpretation of the writing on the wall. But actually, Daniel spends a lot more time talking about what happened that caused God to send the writing um, on the wall, more than what the words actually mean. Um, So we're going to do the same today. I really just have one point and two responses to it. So that point is, God is God, we are not. And the response, firstly, be learners, and secondly, be humble. God is God, and we are not. Let's start there. Daniel begins with a recap of a story we heard in chapter 4. It's a story of a king becoming prideful, being humbled by God, and crucially, learning from the experience and acknowledging God as God. I won't dwell here too long because Jim did a whole sermon on this a few weeks ago, and you can listen back to that on our website or on YouTube. 
To be perfectly honest, I have had a little wrestle with this section of the passage this week because I really don't like it. I don't like that God gave power and authority to someone who then used it to put to death whoever he wanted to put to death. That is very uncomfortable. And while this doesn't quite answer all my questions, this is where I've landed for now and I'll offer it to you in case it's at all helpful. It's simply that God is God and we are not. Although God gives King Neb this high position to exercise authority, it does not mean that God also gives his approval of everything he does. If God's criteria for giving any human approval was that he approved of everything they did, he would never give it. Jesus said all his authority, which is God's authority, he gives to us. If we have that authority, do we think then that God automatically approves of everything we do? I would definitely not be too quick to claim so. This authority, although given, is not mine, and the authority given to Nebuchadnezzar is not his. John Golden Gay says, all human authority and power are an echo and a servant of that divine authority and power from which they derive and on which they depend. All human authority and power are an echo and a servant of that divine authority and power from which they derive and on which they depend. If there were a qualification for authority, it would be humble hearts towards God. God is God and we are not. And that's where things really go wrong for King Nebuchadnezzar. He forgot God. He became full of pride and pride drives a big old wedge between us and God. As a result, God strips Nebuchadnezzar of all his glory. Um, he becomes as low as the animals eating the grass. Ultimately, to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that God is actually the one in control of everything. He is sovereign. He is God. And we are not. And there is a happy little ending to this story because King Neb does in fact acknowledge God as sovereign. Flipping back to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. God humbles him, not out of petty vengeance, but to destroy the wedge of pride that had got in the way and restore the lost perspective of God as God. And it worked. Jim summed up what we can learn from this story of the humbling of King Neb like this. God is God and is able to intervene and fix our perspective and our pride. That it is his kindness, his gift to us when he corrects our perspective. We were designed to live with him, with our eyes fixed on him, and when our focus shifts, we need it to be reset. For us today then, let's remember this, that God is God, we are not. Everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just. 
even when it's difficult for us to understand. So then, why are we hearing this story again today? This is all important context for Daniel explaining why God sent a hand to write on the wall. Let's look at the next bit of the story and what it can teach us about how to respond. So starting at verse 22. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Daniel is retelling the story to Belshazzar to make it nice and clear in explaining to him why the hand came to write on the wall. And here is the punchline. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. It's quite the punch. You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. What did Belshazzar know? We just need to look back a verse to hear um, what Nebuchadnezzar came to understand and what Belshazzar knew. And that is that God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and that God sets over them whomever he wishes. Or in other words, God is God and we are not. Belshazzar knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and yet he did not learn. Here he is, throwing this feast, drinking wine from the vessels stolen from the destroyed temple of God and worshipping idols. Belshazzar should have known better. He knew these stories of King Nebuchadnezzar and he should have acted differently because of them. C.S. Lewis has a term that I quite like. It is chronological snobbery believing that things that have come before us are somehow inferior because we have advanced since, that we are better, smarter, wiser. Maybe that was what was going on here. Maybe Belshazzar just thought that he was better or smarter somehow. Or maybe he didn't believe the stories that he had heard. Maddie reminded us last week of the importance of recording our stories because we're really not that great at remembering. Maybe Belshazzar simply didn't believe them to be true, or maybe they didn't seem important enough to pay attention to. But are we also guilty of this? Are we guilty of not paying attention, of not learning from our own personal histories or from those who've gone before us? I was trying to remember a wee story to share with you of a time when I didn't learn from the example set by someone else. So I called up my mum and to see if she had any funny stories from my childhood. Um, but essentially, I just heard more of what I already knew, and that was that I was an extremely risk-averse child and adult for that matter, and quite sensible. So I just watched and laughed at my brother doing really stupid stuff whilst feeling absolutely no compulsion to give it a go. So instead, here's a story of something I witnessed. 
A few years ago, a group of us were helping Jim and Rachel move house from Pitt and Ween to where they are now. We were taking a break, and we were all sat in their empty and very orange living room. Seriously, like orange walls, orange carpet, even had an orange ceiling, just to, you know, set the scene for you. <laughs> anyway, one of the only things left in the room was the electric wasp fly racket killer thing. It's like a tennis racket that electrocutes wasps. You see, it was June, and our dear friend and pastor Rachel is very allergic to wasps. So it was a really essential item to be kept around. Now, one of my friends, Mark, had the racket in his hand and said something like, should I zap myself? Do you think it would hurt? Those in the room jump in to claim, yes, it definitely would hurt. Jack, our Jack here, even tells Mark about a time where he, when he zapped himself with one and how it did, in fact, hurt. And yet, although he knew all this, what did Mark do? He zapped himself. Did it hurt? Yes. <laughs> Could it have been avoided? Yes. Did he then go on to zap himself a second time? Also yes. <laughs> Should he have known better? Absolutely. My point then, let's know better. Let's be learners. There is so much value from learning from experiences of others in the little things and the big things. Now that's just a funny little story of someone being stupid with something that had no massive consequences except a bit of a stingy hand and everyone laughing at them. But the point is, we can and we should learn really valuable lessons from those ahead of us, from those with more experience than us. Doing so can have some pretty profound implications. I want to share another story with you, this time it is one about me, and a time I learned from someone else's experience. I have an older brother, his name is actually Daniel. He's just short of two years older than me, but we were only a year apart in school. This meant throughout school, Daniel was always one step ahead of me, so I had a very close view of everything that would be coming my way. Daniel is really quite clever. He breezed through his standard grade exams by basically just showing up. And then when it came to hires, he took the same approach, and that didn't go so well. I watched up close as my older brother didn't get the grades that he had hoped for, that he was well capable of achieving. I watched up close as my brother didn't get into the university he wanted to go to, and I saw how devastated he was. I would say that I'm not as clever as Daniel. I'm not nearly as inquisitive and curious as he is. I'm not as keen to learn facts and details, and I don't have the same natural aptitude for academics. But on paper, it looks like I'm the super clever one. And it looks that way because seeing my brother's disappointment made me work so hard for my higher exams, and really every exam since, because I did not want the same experience, and I didn't get it. My hard work paid off and I ended up here in St Andrews because of it. I'm not entirely convinced that I would have got here without the lesson of my brother ahead of me. So thanks Daniel for being older than me, for going before me 
and giving me mistakes to learn from. What a service. Older siblings, God bless all of you. (laughs) But to footnote that story, things did not end miserably for Daniel. He went off to a good university and had a great time. He got a biology degree and has been gallivanting around Australia for the last three years. Currently, he's a chef at a vineyard in Margaret River, so you really don't need to feel too sorry for him. I really accredit this experience to what got me to St Andrews, and my life has been drastically changed by being here in this wee town. If I had completely ignored the experience my brother had, I'd be in an entirely different place. I think Belshazzar's life would have had a very different ending if he had paid attention to those around him and what he could learn from them. I can't help but wonder what the words on the wall would have said or if there would have even been any words. So, let's be learners. Just imagine the value of hearing the experience of others when, for example, we find ourselves in a difficult place, maybe feeling far from God, finding his voice hard to hear. But we can hear the story of someone who has walked that path before and come out the other side. And this isn't limited to learning from those who are actually older than us. I think it's about experiences. And we all have different experiences so we can all learn from each other. Let me implore you then to learn from each other, which means you actually have to get to know each other. And honestly, you'll have a tricky time doing that just here on a Sunday. And this is why we put such an emphasis on home groups. Home groups really are the environment you can journey with people in and learn from their stories and let them learn from yours. If you're not in a home group and would like to get in one, come and talk to me or go to kingdomvineyard.com forward slash home groups. Okay, home group plug done. Let's be learners, not like Belshazzar, who knew how things went and yet failed to learn from them. And while we're at it, let's be humble. To be learners, we need to be humble. To learn something, we have to acknowledge that there are things we don't know and things we haven't experienced. What do we mean then when we talk about humbling ourselves before God? I think we mean humbling ourselves is recognizing our need for God. Recognizing our dependency on him for every breath we take. I think humbling ourselves looks like releasing control back to the one who ultimately has control anyway. It's turning away from self-sufficiency and the culture of me, 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 and instead fixes our eyes on God and says, I need you. You are God and I am not, and I need you. Belshazzar not only fails to learn that God is God, but in his pride, he desecrates the holy objects from the temple, essentially declaring himself to be the ultimate ruler and treats God as his personal plaything. Belshazzar would not have had this terrifying encounter and then met his unfortunate end if he had humbled himself. 
by recognizing that the power and the authority he had was God's, and as a result, turning to God, turning to relationship with God, and seeking his ways. If we really do believe that God is sovereign over all, and that he has control, that all we have is his, and also that he is good, then surely humbling ourselves is the response that we want to have too. If we don't want to be like Belshazzar and have this knowledge but not learn from it, then we need to humble ourselves. We need to come before God, knowing our need for him and seek his ways. Let's remember, though, who we are humbling ourselves before. It's not big, angry God, but Abba Father, holy God, whose ways are just and right, who knows us and loves us, and through the whole story of the Bible is constantly trying to help us back into relationship with him. And actually, good things come from being humble. Jesus says that those who humble themselves will be exalted. And James says that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. In Proverbs, we read, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Good things come from being humble. We'll be exalted, we're shown favor, and we get wisdom. Humble hearts mean we get relationship with God, our Father, and our Creator. Humility happens by being fully dependent on the Lord, dismissing reliance upon self. And this exalts God as our all in all and prompts the gift of his fullness in us. I don't know about you, but I want that. So, although not always easy, and we do have this tendency to turn back to our own strength, forgetting our need for God, it is worth pursuing humbleness. As we come to finish, let's look at the end of the story. Belshazzar did not learn from Nebuchadnezzar's experience that actually God is in control. God is sovereign over all, not him. He did not learn that God is God and he is not. He did not humble himself before the one true mighty God. And so here enters the hand that God sent to write on the wall. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. Daniel interpreted these words as meaning, the days of your reign are numbered. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And your kingdom will be divided. It is not good news for Belshazzar. The writing was on the wall, you might say. And as we read in the final verses of today's passage, his reign ended that very night as he was slain and his kingdom was handed over to the Persians who God eventually used to send the exiles back home. We're not told very much about how Belshazzar responded to Daniel's interpretation of the words, only that Belshazzar proceeded to clothe Daniel in purple like he said he would. This tells me that Belshazzar probably believed Daniel's interpretation to be right. 
And the next we hear, he is slain. For him, the writing was already on the wall. But for us, this doesn't mean any failure to learn or failure to humble ourselves means that it's game over for us. Just go read the book of Jonah if you would like an example of God changing his mind on judgment if hearts turn to him. Let's remember that God is God and we are not. Let's have the response of being learners from each other and being humble before God, turning our hearts towards him in all circumstances. Why don't you stand with me? As we move towards a time of prayer ministry, this is really just an opportunity to respond, to respond to anything I've said today or anything that God has been speaking to you about um, during the week, before the service, in the service, in any way at all. But maybe, um, maybe stories have come to mind of times when you didn't learn from your own or someone else's story, and that's okay. God is here. And he has endless amounts of grace for those who turn their hearts to him. So if that's you, I would love to invite you forward in just a minute. Or maybe you realize you've been walking in your own strength and actually you need to come humbly before God again and re-acknowledge your need for him. I'd love to invite you forward too. But really, you're welcome to come forward for anything at all. Maybe none of those things speak to you, and that is absolutely fine. Come and receive prayer anyway. When you come down here to the front, members of our home groups will come gather around you and ask what it is that you would like prayer for. I know that can feel quite scary if you're not used to it, but it's a safe space for you to come and meet with God with your brothers and your sisters beside you. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll move into prayer ministry. Father, thank you. Um, thank you that you are God and that we're not. Thank you for just the release that that is, that you are in control. And thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to be our example to follow. Thank you that you place us in community to, to follow Jesus together. Would you come, Holy Spirit, now, and would you just meet with us? And would you bless us? Amen. Just come right forward uh, when you're ready, if you would like some prayer.